Hello and welcome to our latest Employment Law podcast. I'm Blair Adams and today I'm joined by my colleague Dan Parker. Hi everyone. We're going to be talking about what can happen legally when you make statements about former employees. So Dan, I want to tell you about this very recent case, which is shocking, no less. Well, I always love a good workplace story, so go for it. This is a good one. So there was a lady who was a recruitment consultant and she resigned to go to a new job. She was perfectly entitled to do that, no non-competes or anything. But she had a good relationship with lots of clients. So her old employer set about querying the pitch and it sent emails to some of the key clients that she dealt with saying, ah, this lady's a bad one and she's breached her restrictive covenants uh, and, you know, we're we're glad she's gone. And generally bad-mouthing her. And as a result of that, some of those clients stopped dealing with her in her new job and she lost business. So being imaginative, brave, and obviously having good legal advice, she brought a claim for what is called malicious falsehood. Now, that sounds like something out of an Agatha Christie novel, doesn't it? You know, the case of the malicious falsehood. (laughs) Absolutely. But it's a very relevant and topical claim. And all she had to prove was that the statements made about her were false, that the motive for making them was improper, and that she had suffered a financial loss as a result. She proved all those things and she won damages. Wow, what a... Well, I've, I've heard of some competitive tactics before, but that's really, really taking the cake. That's that's pretty incredible and um, good for her, I suppose. But I've never experienced anything quite like that before. You mentioned that was malicious falsehood. Is that something which you've seen a lot of or you think occurs that commonly? No, I think it's a rare type of claim. and I think it's been used very cleverly in this context. Mm. But I think even though it's rare and sounds a bit old fashioned, it's really relevant because the way communication styles are these days, it's much more likely, I think, that an employer will say things about a former employee that either intentionally make things difficult or accidentally make things difficult. Mm. It might make false statements about them like the employer did in that case, or it might say things about them that are true, but perhaps upsetting or confidential. And all of these things can lead to some difficult legal consequences. Yeah, it's, well, it sounds like there were there are a few things going on there and a few things I want to, to ask you about. But I mean, as I'm sure you have too, quite often when people come to me, they feel quite strongly, quite aggrieved. And we hear some other words flying about too, um, defamation, libel, slander. I'm certainly not an expert in any of those areas. I just wondered if you could maybe explain for us what, what those terms mean. Well, in in brief, I mean, defamation covers libel and slander, but you don't tend to come across defamation claims by former employees because it's really for the world of film stars and wags, Mm -hmm. um, as we we know from very recent media coverage of the Wagatha Christie case. Of course. And there are two reasons for that. Firstly, legally, they're very complex areas, and therefore trials tend to be long. You need good legal advice, and so the costs are enormous. So your average ex-employee is not going to pursue a defamation claim. But what they could pursue is a malicious falsehood claim. So if I, if I was in the position of that lady recruitment consultant and my old employer had slagged me off unfairly, I would do just that. Mm-hmm. Quite easy, not expensive, not a massive risk. 
Understood. And you mentioned that obviously there are a few categories of uh, perhaps impolite or unpolitical comments that one can make about a former employee. So uh, obviously there are just straightforward lies about someone you used to work with, which you would hope are relatively rare. Um, And we've talked a little bit about malicious falsehood, but what about that category where something is not necessarily untrue, but it, you know, it's potentially misleading or or even embarrassing, I guess. There are a few few different types of comment one can make. I know you mean, because we often have clients coming to us for advice about references and they want to know what they can say in a reference. They want to know if if they have to mention something Mm -hmm. or if they have to mention the whole story. And I think that gives rise to a few issues. Usually they're asking us about mentioning disciplinary proceedings or health problems. So they've had an employee who's been disciplined or investigated. They've left. Reference request comes in from the new employer and they want to know how much of this do we have to talk about. Now, if you're regulated, then there may be separate rules that dictate how much you have to state. But for most employers who are unregulated, it's really a question of judgment. And the rule of thumb is that you have to be fair, accurate, and not misleading. Uh, well, you might say, well, all right, what does that mean then? Well, I think it means giving the, the true picture. So if you've had an employee who was who received a warning and then they were investigated again for a similar offence, but then they resigned, you can't say they were fired after disciplinary action, obviously, because that's not true. But it might be very fair and relevant to give an overall picture of their disciplinary history because, you know, that gives a true picture of their employment with you. On the other hand, if you had somebody who was just being investigated for a first offence when they left, it might be, well, you have to be very clear about what you're telling the new employer. Because if you're suggesting that they were subject to disciplinary action, that might be untrue because all you did was investigate them. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a situation where you would say nothing about it. And I know that when we advise employers, uh, a lot of the time what they have in mind when they're expressing caution about giving a reference is GDPR, the Data Protection Act, and, and kind of the data protection regime in general. Um, what kind of issues do people have to bear in mind from that perspective when, they, when they're giving references or indeed making other kind of statements? Uh, I think the key issue is special category data. Mm-hmm which, as we know, has lots of subcategories in it. So it includes things like health data, data about trade union membership, data about sexual orientation and sex life, things like that. And it's pretty crucial not to disclose of that unless you've got a very good legal reason. And once somebody's left your employment, your legal reasons um, diminish because you don't need to process data about that individual anymore. So I'll give you a recent example of something quite similar. Mm -hmm. An employee of a client disclosed to some colleagues, but also a third party outside the company, that one of his fellow colleagues within the employer had a sexually transmitted disease. Wow. Now, we suspect he was having a mental breakdown at the time, but nevertheless, that's what he did. So this female employee who was a subject of that disclosure, who had the disease, 
it was enormously distressing, hurtful, embarrassing. Of course. It was true, okay? Mm -hmm. So it could not be denied in that sense. But the employee who made the disclosure had no good reason for doing it. Now, if you put that in the context of saying something about a former employee who's left, you know, if anybody thought it might be a good idea to let it slip that the female employee had a sexually transmitted disease, then they would be in breach of the Data Protection Act, almost certainly. Mm. They'd probably be liable to her for an action in confidentiality as well, because that's some information that's very confidential to her. And... Um, they might also be defaming her, but that's an area we don't really want to go into. Sure. So, but it's a good example of how disclosing sensitive personal data or special category data can get you into hot water. Here's a much more sort of normal example. Let's say you had an employee who was quite an active trade union rep when he was with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that generally got right up your nose. And you're not inclined to say good things about him. So you give them a very standard dates and position reference. But when the new employer phones you up and say, well, give, give me an impression of this chap overall, you say something like, well, his performance was really affected by the fact that he spent so much time on trade union duties. Mm. Okay, You've just disclosed that he's a member of a trade union. That's special category data. You probably have no good reason for disclosing it. So you're probably in breach of the Data Protection Act. Okay, if he finds that out, he may have either a claim against you or, or a good reason to complain to the ICO. Sure. And that's, as we know, not really the topic of today's conversation, but a very serious business too, and, and not something to be taken lightly. And something that occurred to me as well, Blair, just in what you're explaining is just what a massive employee relations issue all of this is as well. You know, apart from these claims, it's obviously very very difficult situations to smooth over particularly when you're making statements about someone who is who is still around which could well be the case i suppose i'm always interested in these sort of more niche areas which we sometimes don't get to to dabble in but are there any other areas of possible legal exposure which this kind of uh, situation throws up yeah i think i think it's possible to to imagine some um i mean they're probably at the more extreme end of the scale mm-hmm. but what you do see now, I think more than even five years ago, is employers getting drawn into public communications with or about employees. And this is partly because employees themselves are much more active, more likely to express their own views. So a few years ago, it was probably unthinkable that an employer would get into a Twitter debate with a former employee. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I would say it's much more likely and even there, you have to be very careful that what, what you're saying, if it's about them, is true. Mm-hmm. Give you a, a recent similar example. Uh, an employee went on Twitter to voice certain opinions about transgender issues. Mm-hmm. And the employer received some complaints about that. So they went on Twitter to say, right, we're going to investigate her. Massive misjudgment, really. Mm-hmm. What they should have done is just kept things private, not made any public statements. But by reacting in that way, they are actually guilty of direct discrimination on the grounds of religion and belief. And I think that's the sort of exchange that some employers might easily be drawn into. Of course. I mean, there there are even worse outcomes. You could even get into 
criminal territory. If you start sending communications that are intended to cause distress or that contain false information, then you could be guilty of a criminal offence as well as offences under the data protection legislation. I mean, I think an employer would really have had, have had to have lost its grip on things to let things get that far. Mm-hmm. But hopefully you can see from our discussion up to now that there are much easier ways to get into trouble um, by making statements about people, even if those statements are true. Absolutely. Well, I very much hope that we don't have to deal with that any time in the near future or indeed any of our listeners. But uh, we do hope that you join us for our following podcasts in this series. So all that remains to say today is thanks, Blair, for guiding us through that area and uh, goodbye from both of us.